driving to church for a little business meeting, my wife and I, and uh, we were just uh, talking about uh, what the vision would be uh, uh, for the ministry emphasis here at Freedom Fellowship for 2018. And I said to my wife, I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if Pastor Rick announced that the vision would involve the family? And lo and behold, after we got in and got settled and Pastor Rick began to speak, the vision involved the family. And so I am grateful uh, for Pastor Rick and the many sermons that he's preached on the family ever since then uh, to achieve the number one goal of ministry. And that is simply to change. It is to change. You are here, I am here, because we need to make some adjustments in our lives. God is holy. You cannot stay the way you are and be on a mission with God. And so I'd like to continue along that line uh, of, of, of talking about the family uh, with a message that I've titled, What Are You Looking At? What on earth are you looking at? It's no secret that the family worldwide is under attack. We don't make it past the first three chapters in Genesis before we see the first couple being put out because of sin. And we don't make it further uh, beyond that where we see until we see the first murder committed. And so family has been under attack ever since. But one thing that I know about what God does is everything he does is with and for a purpose. God does not do anything. He does not create anything. He does not ordain or design anything just because he has nothing better to do. He's not like my, my, my wife and I come home sometime and, honey, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'm just going to bum around here and something will come up eventually. God designed the family to make an impact in the world just like the church. The church, in a sense, is planted in a weed field, okay? You step outside, you look at your 6 o'clock news, you see murders, you see war, you see famine, you see pestilences. The church is designed to make a difference. And so the family makes up the church in part, and so we have, have that design as well, to make a difference, to shine forth the light and the love of Jesus Christ to a world that so desperately need to hear the good news. So you don't, you're not part of a family just because there's nothing better to do. So what's the purpose of the family? The family, like the church, as I mentioned, is ordained of God. It's central to God's plan for salvation, not just procreation. You have a soul that's going to live for eternity. You and your fleshly body and me and mine, we only, we're just passing through. But one day we're going to be gone. And so the family plays that role in sharing God's mission and, uh, and passion for salvation for, for the masses. You perhaps heard me say before uh, that every Hebrew word in the Bible in the Old Testament and every Hebrew phrase has a number and a pictorial assignment to it to help bring more emphasis to what the writer is trying to say. And so when we take a look at the word family, we get something that says uh, uh, that someone or a group of people are fenced in, that they live with boundaries, that they live with rules and regulations, that they are holy unto the Lord, that they belong to God. We see also, when you look at the word family, 
a union of spiritual perfection. When God designed the family, it was perfect the way he did it, and there's no need to tamper with it. We also see that we are his representatives on earth. Why do we exist in a family? Why am I part of a family? I'm here to represent ultimately God. You know, we often say, you know, you look like your father. You act like so-and-so. Whatever you look or whoever you look or act like, as long as God is getting the glory. And so there's no need to redefine the family because what God did back a long time ago is perfect just the way it is. So regrettably, we violated all of these, every last one of them. And the boundaries that God set around the family, there's been a breach. There's a hole in it. And the goodness that God put into the family is rushing out every day. And evil is rushing in. And God is still looking for not just a man, but for families to stand in that gap and represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we're familiar with the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, starts out with, by saying, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land that the Lord your God has given you. It's no accident that God started the first of those Ten Commandments with the family. The others, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt have no other gods before you. You can put all of those things aside by simply obeying your mother and your father. If you have godly parents who are pouring godliness into you, you don't have to go to jail for, thief, for being a thief. You don't have to cheat on your taxes. You can be honest even there. Imagine you can show up to work on time and have a decent work ethic by honoring your father and mother. When I was a little kid, even, we would, you know, Chicago, you can't help but do, well, I guess you can help it, but do <laughs> mischievous things. And uh, there are certain things I can remember even as a kid, you know, let's go and do such and such. Oh, no, my mother won't like that. You know, if my mom ever found out, it's over. Let's, let's, let's choose some other mischievous thing to get involved in. We trade one mischievousness for another. Not that it made any sense. But it's interesting that God outlines the commandments by beginning with the family. If we honor our parents, we can avoid getting mixed up with the other nine. If, you're, if you have good parental uh, impressions left on you. God started with the family because he created the family with purpose. God has a divine design for the family. And it's not just to go on vacation. It's not just to, uh, uh, to have a place with a roof over your head and food and so forth and so on. God has a divine purpose for the family. Our very existence in society is continued upon an effective family. The success of the family, not just any success, but success that brings honor to God. A lot of times as parents, we teach our children about investment tactics and here's how you tie your shoes and here's how you do this and how you make your bed. I remember my mom teaching me all of those things and wash your clothes and all this, that, and the other. That would make you successful to a point. But if you really want success, you're going to be obedient to God and his word and you're going to have a family that honors God. Everything that God says and done is with a divine purpose. 
A family can survive without a nation, but a nation cannot survive without the family. You need the family in society, and therefore God put it in society. If you notice in verse 12 of Exodus 20, God does not say, honor your father and your father. He does not say, honor your mother and your mother. He says, honor your mother and your father. If this is an area that you are struggling with, I'm pleased to say there are ministries here at Freedom Fellowship that will pray with you and love you and embrace you with the love of Jesus Christ uh, and show you the way, God's way. When we alter what God designed, we do so at our own peril. Before we take away boundaries, before we start fiddling with what God said thou shalt not do, let's ask why those boundaries were put there in the first place. Those signs exist for a reason, stop signs, yield signs. My last deployment in the military, I went to the demilitarized zone uh, in Korea, and we went slam up to the DMZ, and there were signs there, danger, mines. Then the guide uh, for us said, stay on this path, don't deviate. You step off to the right or to the left, you may not go home. Those signs exist for a reason. Our parents give us instruction and discipline because they love us and they want to see us succeed and avoid some of the problems and pitfalls that they had to go through. So that raises a question. Why are so many Christian families under attack? Why are we under attack? Everything that God does is good. It's interesting that the enemy of our souls, the devil, parallels the truth of God. If you notice that conversation that he had with Eve in the Garden of Eden, Eve never did quite say what God said. It was close to what he said, but it wasn't what he said. And so the enemy of our souls is trying to change the dynamics of the family and uh, alter God's plan, but he's going to fail. So what is one of the fundamental stumbling blocks of the family? Uh, unfortunately, it's the parents themselves. It begins with the parents. But yet there's an answer in God's word that would lead us to the truth. God commands us to love, as parents, our children. Titus 2.4 says that they may teach the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. It's not just the young women or the young mothers who are to love their children. Fathers are to love their children as well. Fathers are to be actively involved in the life of their child just like the mother. When my daughter was a little uh, toddler going running off to get her shots and, and whatever else she needed at the clinic, I told my wife, no, 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 I'll tell my boss I need some time off to go and take my daughter to the clinic because I love her too. So God calls us to love our children. Christian parents are told to love their children. And this type of love that Paul was talking about in the book of Titus goes beyond just providing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It goes beyond just providing, uh, what do you call it, uh, school supplies. I haven't bought school supplies in so long, I had to stop and think. It goes just beyond, you know, uh, a physical touch. 
what it really means ultimately is not only should you provide for your children uh, physical needs, you need to provide for your children spiritual needs as well. Okay? So it is our chief responsibility is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our children. Now at Freedom Fellowship, we've got a dynamic pastor, Pastor Rick and Pastor Preston and those who work in, in uh, children's church and children's ministry. We drop them off here for a few hours and they hear and they sing and they participate and they enjoy the service, then you go home. But when we leave the church, a lot of times we leave God right where we found it, right there at the church. Ministry is to continue at home. Your child, your sons, your daughters, and those you have charge over should hear just as much about God and his plan for humanity and salvation than they do here at Freedom Fellowship. It's almost like when I was a kid, uh, my parents and all of our parents, I remember saying, we're sending you to that school to learn. The discipline and how to behave, that's my responsibility, our parents would say. So you need to send your, you need to spend time with your children. Turn the TV off sometimes, okay? And, and Netflix will be there. Uh, uh, Hulu and all the rest of them will be there. Facebook will be there. And give God back some time that he's given you. I remember when, when uh, I felt God sharing with me something about getting involved in ministry. And uh, uh, I, we used to have a Bible study at home. It was just the three of us. And my daughter, our daughter, was about, I don't know, uh, seven or eight years old. And she was my little deacon. And, uh, and we would have our little Bible studies and everything like that. And when it came time to pass the plate, of course, my wife didn't put nothing in it. And Marie didn't have nothing. She wouldn't be seven years old. And so uh, she said, put some money in there, Daddy, so we can go and get a Happy Meal after, you, after you're done. But here's my point I want to share. It was probably 20 years later or more that my daughter told me, Dad, those little Bible studies that you used to hold, those little things you used to share with me about what God says about relationships, about boys, about my body, those things that mom used to sit down with me and pray with me about, uh, they really made a difference. I haven't forgotten them. Yes, I fell short in some areas, but they never left me. They never left. Train a child in the way that it should go so that when they get old, it will not depart from them. And I believe that. And so our responsibility is, uh, is to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, share the gospel of Jesus Christ to our children. God also uh, calls parents to be available in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your hearts, in verse 7, and you shall carefully teach them to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Everywhere you go, you need to be sensitive of the presence of God. Everything you do should bring God honor. Ultimately, we live in a media-driven society. There's an app for everything. You know, how to, I don't know, boil water, uh, change your oil, whatever. All of this information, and this information goes with us when we're in our house when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up. I see people all the time walking around, not even looking at traffic, 
you know, with their, the, the, what do you call it, the cell phone. And uh, cell phones have their place, but the word of God should have its place as well. So the Bible says in all of our ways, we're to acknowledge God and he will direct our path. When we turn our eyes towards Jesus, that means we turn our eyes away from something else. So it's not a sin to own a cell phone uh, or to be a member of Facebook, but sometimes those things become your God and they dictate your next move. They dictate, they drive your emotions. It's interesting to watch people on their phone, their facial expression, they get angry, they laugh, they break out crying, whatever. The word of God is powerful. Let that word drive your emotions instead every once in a while. We're called by the Lord to nurture our children. In 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. The Lord said in John 4.4, 4, greater is he that is, 1 John 4.4, 4, greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. If you are living a spirit-filled life, you don't have to run around driven by fear all the time and anxiety all the time. Emotions have their place to get angry, to be happy, to be sad, and to grieve, and so forth and so on. But sometimes those things will take off and order your steps other than the word of God. The steps of a good man are ordered by who? The Lord, because he delights in his way. All right? We're to be parents who are... Uh, 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 people of integrity. In Deuteronomy 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 9, uh, he says, Moses said, only take heed to yourself and keep your soul carefully, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. But teach them to your sons and to your sons' sons. But teach them to your sons and to your sons' Son. When I was on the ship in the Navy, I was temporarily assigned to a destroyer. And we had learned some things in boot camp about watertight integrity. But you don't know what it means until you go past the Chesapeake Bay and you in the Atlantic Ocean. Okay, there are guys checking the ship for leaks. They're checking this, they're checking that. They keep the water out. What can wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make you whole? Again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can keep the world at bay and all of its influences and its charms and its lights and all these things? It's the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's the word of God that's active in your life. It is vital that your children see that in you. Okay? Robbie Zacharias uh, wrote a book, and forgive me, I can't think of the name, but in it, he's a Christian apologist, uh, one who defends the gospel worldwide. But uh, he said one of the challenges to young people in keeping them in church is not so much our ability to explain things or to answer things. It's our failure to live those things. I don't see God in you, this God you're talking about. I don't see him. You get just as angry as I get. You cheat on your taxes too. You're unfaithful. I don't see God. And so we're called to be men and women and mothers and fathers of integrity. We're to teach these things to our sons and to our sons and to our children. 
we shouldn't run around with the attitude of being defeated. What good is it to serve God? Every time mom gets a letter in the mail from such and such and such, she's just broken. Every time dad does this, he just goes ballistic. You know, it's as though we take God and sit him in a corner somewhere. Lord, you sit here, I got this. You know, let me call this 1-800 number. Let me take matters in my own hand and, and, and try to resolve this issue. God is calling us to be people of integrity. Having a good name, what is the proverb say? A good name is to be chosen rather than many uh, riches. Parental responsibilities do not end when your children graduate from school. I turned 18, my dad said, turn in your knife and fork, that's it. You're done. You go into the Navy, go ahead. And so it doesn't end when they reach these various milestones. When your children are in, uh, successful at investment opportunities and things like that. We are to stand the watch. We are to stand in the gap as parents and guardians until God calls you home. Your work is not done until he says it's done. And when he calls you, it's a wrap. You, it's done. But until then, you continually do what with your children? You continue to make that investment, to sow the seeds. You know, my daughter, as she got older and was liking boys and boys liking her and the phone ringing 15 times in a row, and I'm yelling, who is that this time? One little boy broke her heart. And I saw her kind of moping around the house. I was glad. You don't need him anyway. I would tell her, listen, I'm your boyfriend. She did not like that. But one day I said, baby, why didn't you just come and tell me about it? You know, I can help you. She said, Dad, I knew if I talked to you about it, all you're going to do is try and weave my story into some part of the Bible, in some part of the scripture. For in just a split second, it kind of broke my heart. But then I was like, whoa, oh, that's a good thing. Let me keep doing that because that's what you need to hear. So we are to stand to watch the Lord who calls us home. So why do we fall short of God's expectation and of what brings him glory? Part of it is that we are looking in the wrong direction. We are looking into the wrong direction or at the wrong person. Uh, David said in one of the Psalms, put not your trust in the son of man in whom there is no help. His breath goes forth, he returns to his earth in that very day, his thoughts perish. He forgets. But happy is he that has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that therein is. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, this is a classic scripture. All of it is classic. The serpent and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The serpent told Eve, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Eve and Adam and Eve ran around that tree, Lord knows how long, before they finally stopped and took a look at it. It began with a look, not with the conversation necessarily with the serpent, with a look. God said, listen, before all that, I got you. He provided for all of their needs. 
There was no sickness, there was no war, no famine, no pestilence, no disease, no divorce, no dysfunctional families, nothing. God was their provider until one day she looked at that tree. You recall that I said that the Hebrew words and phrases have pictorial and numerical values. When we take that phrase, uh, your eyes are going to become open. This is what the serpent told Eve. What he was saying, in essence, was by your own doing, you will receive punishment that leads to bondage, not only for yourself, but for everyone who follows after you. And that all of humanity will require divine restoration. Sometimes the signs are that clear, rolled out ahead, and there's a picture of a car falling over it. Everything you need to avoid continuing down that path. By your own doing, you're going to receive punishment that leads to bondage, not only for you, but for everyone who follows after you. Isn't that what has happened? After she looked at that tree. All of this from one phrase, your eyes coming open. And from Eve's actions and Adam's actions, words were added to their vocabulary. Murder, sickness, war, famine, pestilences. All of this from one phrase, by their disobedience. But God provided a way out. God added a word as well. And that was and is and will always be Redeemer. And that Redeemer is Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you another word in your vocabulary that will help you repent and turn around and go in the opposite direction. That will give you the power to be witnesses for me. The truth is, if we're not careful, what we look at can lead to death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death, eternal separation from God. What we look at can lead to other grievous situations. That word redeemer, first mentioned in uh, Exodus 6, 6, God was talking about, I'm going to redeem you from uh, the land of Egypt. And that word simply means the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit making restitution for you for your sins. And to buy you back from the hands of the enemy. It doesn't matter what condition your family is in. You have not sank so low that God cannot turn you and your situation around and make you a jewel in your home, in your community, in your church, in your, your workplace, and so forth and so on. God has a plan and a purpose for the family. Another truth uh, is regarding looking to some extent, we become what we look at. Those things that we watch on TV and watch on our phones, they stimulate certain things in our mind and we, 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 we daydream about them. We, we want to become that person. I want to look like that man. I want to look like that woman. I want to behave this way. I want to behave that way. They're doing it and there's no boundaries around them and they're successful. Why can't I be successful as well? Those things that we look at are capable of ultimately defining us. And little by little, we are shaped by what we see. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you look at. But God, through his grace and mercy, has provided a solution. And that solution, of course, is Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at Numbers 
chapter 21, verse 4 through 9, and I'll just talk through those uh, verses there. Israel was in a process, uh, had just lost Aaron. He died. They were still in the wilderness, and they were journeying towards the promised land. At this point, they were almost there, and they murmured against Moses. They complained against Moses and against God. And so in verse 5, the people complained against God and Moses. Verse 6, the Lord responded to their complaints by sending them fiery serpents. You want to complain? I'll give you something to complain about. And he did. And the people realized when these serpents came into the camp and started biting people, people started dying. And they realized these serpents came from God, and it's because of our sin. And so they went to Moses and said, pray for us, intercede for us, and ask God to forgive us. We have sinned against God. We've sinned against you. And the Lord told Moses in uh, eight, verse 8 and 9, uh, to make a fiery serpent of brass and set it upon a pole so that everyone, if they were bitten by it, if they would look at that serpent, that they would be made whole, that they would recover. Everyone who was bitten, all you had to do was just look at it and you will live. The serpent on the pole ultimately represented Christ who would die for our sins on Calvary. And God told them, to look at this uh, uh, brass serpent. It's interesting that the method that God chose to heal his people was a horrible reproduction of what they were seeing amongst themselves with those fiery serpents. I don't know what those serpents look like. I Listen, I was in Okinawa for three years. And I can still remember now being on a night patrol doing some night land navigation when this probably seven, eight foot habu snake, one of the world's most poisonous, slithered right in front of us. I froze. And it took something to get me moving again, especially in the direction of that snake. Snakes uh, don't have a good reputation in our society. And uh, I won't say we can do without them because everything God does is with a purpose and with reason. But uh, I can do without him. I'll just speak for myself. But uh, while Christ hung on the cross, he represented. He represented our sins. He represented murderers. He represented bad parents. He represented thieves. He represented liars. Those snakes were horrible to look at. Yet Moses took those, uh, that design and put it on a pole. Christ was horrible to look at when he held on Calvary. When the children of Israel looked up at that bronze serpent, they saw a representation of their sin. Though the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own, they were rightly mine. There was a representation of their sin. And so when they looked up there, they saw their lying. They saw their cheating. They saw their dysfunctionalism. They saw their disobedience and their murmuring. All of those things represented on that pole. All those things would later be represented by the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Uh, Romans 8.3 says in part, God sending his son condemned the, uh, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin uh, condemned uh, the sin in the, in the flesh. 
God represented, Jesus Christ represented our sins on Calvary. God told Moses that everyone who beheld the serpent should live. John chapter 3, verse 14 through 15, but even as Moses, Jesus is speaking, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the greatest invitation ever extended to humanity. Whosoever will, let him come and let him drink of the waters of life freely. That invitation that God gave the children of Israel, whoever looks on it, it didn't say whoever has done only these three sins, look, because it won't cover you if you've done anything beyond these three. It says whosoever will, let him come and look and, and, and drink of the waters of life freely. So a better question is who should we be looking at? Who should we look at as parents? Who should be our guide? We already know it's Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The word here, looking uh, unto Jesus, means looking away from everything else. You cannot have your eyes fixed on Jesus and your eyes fixed on the world as well. You either love the one or hate the other, cleave to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and the world. So who are you following? I have decided an old song we sing to follow Jesus, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. So we fix our gaze on Jesus. Christ as the author and finisher denotes a divine pioneer or pathfinder, someone who already knows the way. That's the one that we should follow. That is the one that we should follow. I remember back in the military, I was that trip we took to the DMZ, we got lost. That is not the place to get lost. I'll tell you that much right now. We had a GPS, one person had a GPS, and to figure out where we were, and we were right smack on the border somewhere uh, in, 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 in Korea. We could even hear the anti-propaganda, American propaganda on the, the radio. Finally, somebody with some sense said, we need to turn around and go in the opposite direction. We need to go south like yesterday. We find ourselves in the same situation in life where we follow the wrong person. We follow the wrong prescription and we wind up in trouble. Trouble that only a redeemer can bring you out of. Only Christ, only him. Look to Jesus means look away from everything and everyone else that does not represent him. And as children, as parents, well, let's just say as parents, we need to demonstrate that. We need to demonstrate that. When my daughter was a little girl, I used to, my wife got me started on journaling, and uh, beyond that, I'd write nothing more than my name and date on some documents or something like that. And uh, I started writing things down, dreams, and you know, whether I felt the Lord laid on my heart. And inevitably, problems came up. Your car broke down. The finances were a little short. And I would write those down. And I'd bring my daughter in and say, okay, baby, you know, here, the, the old car is on bricks again. You know, uh, let's write it down in the journal. We're going to leave the bottom half of this uh, journal for when God answers us. 
when God answers us, I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to show you what God has done. Children need to see God at work in your family. They need to see what you pre They need to see it in you as parents. So God created the family and everything he did was with a purpose. God's children are called to be light and salt. As children of God, we're to deny ourselves. We're to put away our former conversation. And this can only be done through repentance and the blood of Jesus Christ. So I would challenge families of those who are here and those who are listening to simply ask yourself, what am I looking at? Who am I looking at? How do I spend my time throughout the day? When you get in the bed at night, before you pull the covers up on you, ask yourself, how much time did I give back to God in prayer and praise and thanksgiving? Or was that just something you did on Sunday when Brother Emery would get up and lead us into the presence of the Lord? That's just to prime you for Monday and Tuesday. And you can get rejuvenated here on Wednesday. But you can experience God in your own home. God does not just dwell here at Freedom Fellowship. He wants an invitation to your house and to your heart. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I do what? I knock. If any man would let me in, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. Though your sins were scarlet, they should be as white as snow. You can't find that anywhere. Invite Jesus in to be a, a part of your life. Is God pleased with what you're looking at or who you're looking at? Would it lead to murder, sickness, pain, anguish? Sometimes it does. Or will it be uh, uh, thoughts and actions and what you're looking at, uh, glory to God? There are two major strongholds that challenge the family. There's really a whole bunch of them. But a lot of them you can lump under these two right here. And one is generational sin. Generational sin. I had a friend of mine uh, who I knew some years ago. Every relationship he was in was volatile and toxic. There was fighting and uh, accusations and the next person, the same thing. And I, I was witnessing to him and, and I was just praying, you know, Lord, he'll give me the words to say to help this man. And one day I asked him, I said, why do you do these things that bring about all of these trials and tribulations? And I still remember the day he thought for a while. He said, because my father did the same thing. My father did the same thing and his father did the same thing. We don't have to be held captive by generational sin. Jesus said, but if you're washed in the blood of the lamb, you'll be made whole. All of us are like sponges. Kids, women, children are like sponges. If you dip a dry sponge in grape Kool-Aid and squeeze it, the only thing that's going to come out is grape Kool-Aid. But if you've been dipped in the blood of Jesus and you squeeze with life's Pre uh, 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 problems and trials and tribulations, the only thing that's going to come out is Jesus. The only thing that's going to come out is Jesus. That friend of mine who I, I shared briefly with, he's serving a 27-year uh, sentence uh, because of some relationship issues. All of it could have been avoided. Another issue that, that plagues family is unforgiveness. Like many here, I've had some rather unpleasant uh, experiences as a child. One day, I went to church wrestling with some things that happened in my childhood. And I, a gentleman there from Africa 
had come to speak to our men's group. And I was just waiting because I'd heard him speak these powerful things. And I went up there for prayer and just waiting for him to just lay it on me. Just give me all of these nice words and phrases. He looked at me and said this, honor your father and your mother. Honor. It doesn't say honor them if they did or didn't do this, that, and the other. It said honor your father and mother. If, I, if my expectations were to be a recipient of God's blessings, then I've got to walk in obedience. I went to visit a friend in the hospital not too long ago, uh, and just before I felt led to, to say a prayer for him, you know, and just, you know, pray for healing and divine intervention and all this, I felt the Holy Spirit said, no, don't start there. You ask him if he knows me. Ask him if he knows me. Before you start praying all of this, God can do this, that, and the other. Do you know the Lord as your Savior? Are you washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? So bitterness and unforgiveness. Unforgiveness robs us of a fruitful life that is pleasing to God. We're completely unworthy, but yet God forgave us in that while we were yet sinners. Rarely would you forgive somebody who's in an act of committing an act against you. Oh, listen, before you throw the next blow, I just want you to know I forgive you. It usually doesn't work that way. As Christians, we have experienced God's grace, and we should be willing to give God's grace. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 13, 15, we're urged to examine ourselves, to scrutinize ourselves, to make sure that we're in the faith. And let me close with this. In Job chapter 14, verse 9 through 7, one of the most beautiful passages in the scripture that talks about uh, redemption and recovery and healing uh, Job said for there is hope of a tree if it's cut down that it will sprout again its tender branches will not cease though its root become old in the earth and its stump dries in the dust yet through the scent of water it will bring forth branches this message I don't know where you are with uh, with uh, your family situation uh, or, or where God is bringing you from or has brought you from or what you're going through right now. Your family may look like this tree described in Job chapter 14, verse 9 through 7, dried up, good for nothing but to be thrown in the fire. But he said there is hope that through the scent of water, that scent of water may represent you turning your TV off and giving God back some time that he's graciously given you. That scent of water may be this short message that I'm sharing for you with you right now. That scent of water may be when you lift your hands and you just worship God no matter what your family looks like. I don't care how broken you are or your family is. There is hope and that hope is in one person, Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to look unto the hills from which come your help. Your help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Look unto Jesus. Well, my dad did this to me. Look unto Jesus. My mom failed in this area. Look unto Jesus. There was drugs and promiscuity, and there was a look unto Jesus. I can offer you nothing else but to take it to the cross, the foot of the cross, and leave it there and have an experience with God that you never had before. 
God is at work all around us, and we're all invited to be a part of what he's already doing. But in order to join God in what he's doing, we've got to make adjustments. Let me ask you to, to, to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what is it about your, your family that you may be falling short. God is able, and he's more than enough to heal, deliver, and restore. You are not that lost that God cannot find you. Let's stand. Do we have any uh, altar workers here? One or two, maybe? Three, Brother Cliff? If there is something about you and your family, maybe as a parent, you've fallen short. I fell short with our daughter. You may have fallen short with your children. God can heal and restore and deliver. Use this opportunity to take it to the foot of the cross and leave it there. Maybe you don't know who Jesus Christ is. Let me invite you today that you've heard his voice, not to harden your heart, but to come forward and give your life to the Lord and experience life afresh, life anew, a life that you've never known before, where you can have hope and peace and love a life and a family that can glorify God. Other people will look at you and say, oh, remember all those things you used to do and your family is this and no family is that. What a testimony to say, but look at what God is doing to me now. He's changed my mind. He's taken my feet out of that miry clay and he's placed it upon a rock and pointed me in a new direction so that I can give glory to God. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity, Father God, to to share your word with your people, Father. Every eye that saw, every ear that heard, every life, every family that's represented here today, Father God, I pray thee, Lord God, that they would make their way to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the pioneer, the one who knows the way. Thank you, Father God, that you are God, and beside you there is none other. Be glorified, Father, tonight. Come on up if you want some prayer with these who are uh, spirit-filled, people who love the Lord, and uh, otherwise you can be quietly dismissed. Thank you for an opportunity to speak with you this morning.